0: Hey guys, it's C, and welcome to Girls, Ghosts, and Ghouls, episode number nine. Nine? I believe. Pretty sure it's nine. So this week I am doing this without Key because she was really, really sick last week, and then we had Canadian Thanksgiving, and there's just been a lot going on. And she's super busy, and I wanted to get this done, and it's our local episode, so I figured I'll just go ahead and do it. So hopefully nobody minds that it's just me this week, but you're still going to get a pretty cool story. This week, I decided that we're going to cover uh, le Musée de Saint-Boniface, or the Saint-Boniface Museum, here in Winnipeg now the really cool thing about this museum is that for those of you who went out and saw the nun when it came out you might find this interesting it used to be a convent in fact it is the oldest building in all of winnipeg and it was formerly known as the gray nuns convent so it's got a really long history in the city Another fun fact is that the Grey Nuns were also the first order that opened uh, the school that I went to and the school that Key goes to now uh, in the city, so they've got a really long history here. It wasn't just a convent though, Uh, it was also the city's first hospital, orphanage, and seniors home in all of Western Canada. It was also a school and a training center for missionaries and they obviously also had a chapel there because it was a convent and nuns lived there. So it was the home of the Grey Nuns which is a religious order that was founded in Montreal. The sisters were known for ministering to the poor and the sick in Quebec and then in 1844 they sent four of the nuns to Manitoba by the invitation of Bishop Provencher to help with the education of girls in the settlement that was there at the time so they're really well known for lobbying for the education of women and they established a lot of the first um, all-female schools to help girls that were otherwise not getting uh, an education Uh, they established all of these schools and helped empower women to get an education So, it was not an easy journey for them to get here. The sisters had to come in a voyageur canoe for 58 days across 1,800 miles, which I seriously cannot imagine because I did a canoe trip that was literally from one island to another island to do an overnight, and that was enough for me. I hate being in a canoe. I hate open water, so yeah, that's... Enough said. Okay, I have this conversation with a lot of people. I don't exactly hate the open water. What I think I hate about canoes is that you're in them like fully dressed, and in this case, we were in them with all of our stuff because we're canoeing out to an island with our food, our supplies, our clothes, our tent, and I just have this like irrational fear that I'm gonna drop my stuff into the water and I'm never gonna get it back. I mean, I guess it's not that irrational of a fear because. If I did, like, turn the canoe over and lose myself, I probably wouldn't get it back. But, yeah. So, that's my thing with canoes and lakes and open water and boats. (sighs) Yeah. So, on that 58-day travel, they had to portage 150 times. And for those who don't know what that is, portaging is when you take the canoe and you put it up over your head and you actually carry the canoe with all of your supplies across the land until you can get to the next body of water so that you can keep canoeing. Um, At one point, one of the sisters broke her foot on the way, and the voyagers threatened to leave her behind. But they made it, and once they got there, they realized that the community needed more than just female education. So they established a whole bunch of things, so healthcare for the disabled. as well as setting up, I said, that hospital. They set up the school, which is why they were sent there in the first place. And they basically did a really, a lot of good things for the community at the time, a lot of things that were needed that they hadn't actually been sent there to help for. So they didn't just confine themselves to St. Boniface area, Soon they started traveling all around the Red River settlement there and they would actually go and visit sick people in their homes and they created a really close bond with a lot of the Scottish settlers and the Métis who were in the area. And for those who don't know what the Métis are, the Métis were um, the settlers in the Red River area that were half French and half First Nations people. So once they got there... They started to get their convent built and started in 1845, but then had a measles epidemic, a fire, and a scaffolding accident which injured two of their carpenters, so they couldn't finish their building until 1851. The building is still there, the original building still stands there, and it's a combination of French and English architecture, and it was constructed in the Red River Frame style. The museum is the largest oak log building in all of North America, and when the convent was first built, it appeared to be appeared to be oh, sorry, okay, so a lot of people just thought it was a very large house, so the way it was built, it almost resembled like a mansion, and so a lot of new settlers thought it was some like wealthy person's home. Um, but they built a later addition on there to give it more of an like official building appearance. So it didn't just look like some fancy home. It looked more like what it was, which was a school, chapel, orphanage, etc. Everything else that it was. <sighs> Sorry, just looking over my notes again. There's a lot of history on this building because it is so old. Okay, so eventually, once they had this beautiful building completed, they expanded beyond the Red River Settlement and started establishing new organizations, like new hospitals, new schools, like the school that I mentioned that I went to. and other orphanages outside of the building. So originally this building was everything. And then once they started to grow their community, they split off from that building and they began to go to other places around what is now the city of Winnipeg and build separate buildings for all these individual things. Unfortunately, all of these new buildings meant that they didn't really need the convent anymore because what had been the school, the hospital, etc. was no longer needed because they had built a hospital. Uh, the St. Boniface Hospital is now like across the street from where the museum is. Um, St. Mary's Academy, which is one of the schools that they built, was not far from there either at its original location. It's since been relocated, but the original location was also near there. So after over a hundred years in that building, they left it in 1956, and fears that it would be demolished because the building was no longer in use led to the building being declared a heritage site. And in 1967 was when it opened as the museum, which specialized in stories of the Saint Boniface and Francophone and Métis community stories of the Saint Boniface and Francophone and Métis communities in Manitoba. The museum also contains a special exhibit about Louis Riel and the Riel exhibit is especially fitting as Louis Riel actually attended the convent as a day student when he was alive. For those who don't know who Louis Riel is, he's kind of a big deal in Manitoba. He was a member of the Métis and he actually became their leader and he was one of the only people who would stand up to the English and to prime minister john a Macdonald in the time um, and was a big advocate for the metis people in the red river settlement he wouldn't allow the government to take advantage of them the way that they were trying to and it ended up getting him killed because he killed one of this the men that the government had sent there Um, to kind of oversee what they wanted to happen there. And because he didn't have the community's best interest in heart, Luriel had him killed, and for that, he in turn was hanged. But yeah, so he actually went to school at the convent, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Given the role of the building as both a hospital and a senior's home, there was a lot of death that happened in the convent. And this is what people think is the kind of kickstarter to all the supernatural activity that's been reported there. A lot of the staff reported that papers get moved around without any explanation. If a letter is placed on top of one stack of papers, they'll go to get it and it'll be gone the next day. And then two or three days later, it'll be right back where they left it. And there's just no explanation. Nobody admits to having moved it or picked it up or anything like that. They also hear the sounds of knocking on doors and footsteps through the halls. Employees have also said that sounds are clearly distinct and that they're not... um, because people have challenged them and said, oh, it's probably just the steam pipes rattling or you're just hearing boards creaking because it's an old building. And they said that the sounds are very distinct and that there's no possible way you could confuse the sounds of just creaking boards, the sounds of footsteps. They said they're not hearing someone stepping on like hardwood and hearing the hardwood creak. They're actually hearing the sound of like, clump, 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 like footsteps moving. One employee of the museum said that a number of really weird events happened in the mid-90s. great time, great time. So they decided they were going to do renovations there and they added a gift shop, offices, and they relocated a bunch of the exhibits. But right before the renovation, the front desk and the cash register were right in the entrance way. And when the museum was not busy, it was pretty common for another employee to sit across in the cash register and just like chat with whoever was working to pass the time. And the person sitting across in the cash register was able to see right down the museum's hallways. So the person sitting at the cash register could look out and they would be able to see the entrance, but the person that was sitting on the other side chatting with them could see behind them and see the entire hallway behind them. Uh, one day, an employee was talking with the ticket seller, and they noticed a shadow moving down the hallway. She said the shadow was that of a full-sized adult, but no person could be seen—only the moving shadow. Seeing the mysterious shadow caused a huge reaction from that employee, and the front desk employee was like, "Whoa! Like, are you, like?" It caused enough of a reaction that she noticed that she was freaking out, and she was like, "Are are you okay?" Like, are you all right? Because she said she turned completely white and looked just absolutely terrified and really uneasy. And then the other employee said that she'd just seen the shadow and they went together to investigate the hallway to see if there was any explanation for it or if someone had snuck in or if someone was wandering around the exhibit. They just wanted to make sure that it wasn't like a visitor to the museum or another staff member. But when they went and investigated, the space was completely empty. Around the same time as the shadow incident, there was an unexplained event on the second floor. The exhibit up there was displaying how the Grey Nuns had lived, including furniture arranged to create a bedroom, dining room, and a living room. So basically, you would go up there and walk in and you would see how they lived and what sort of things they had. In one of the bedrooms, there was a rocking chair, and when they walked by the exhibit, the employee noticed the rocking chair would be rocking back and forth. It was moving too much to be explained by, like, wind or an uneven floor, and there was no visitors around who could have started rocking it because it was, like, removed. It's part of the display, so it's not like you can just go in and, like, oh, I'm going to chill out in this rocking chair. Like, it's a museum exhibit. And it was... They thought, okay, like, this is weird. So they stopped the rocking chair, like, they went in and, like, put their head on it and stopped it and were like, okay, stop. And then they just kept working. And 10 minutes later, she walked past again, and the chair had started rocking back and forth again. She said that she was not spooked by the previous unusual events, but after seeing the chair and the way that it had happened twice after she'd gone in there to stop it, really scared her they've also had issues with the security alarm going off for no reason with no explanation and the same employee came to the museum to make sure that the building was all locked up and secured and as she was doing a walkthrough on the first floor she said when I came to the chapel I just felt this really uncomfortable feeling and could not walk past the space like she physically got to the chapel and just her body was like don't don't do it like don't go any further so she turned and continued her walk through and went on the second and third floor instead and she said she didn't feel anything unusual or out of place up there so she wasn't sure why the alarm was going off and then when she went back to the first floor she was like it's probably nothing and then she's like okay like I I didn't go into the chapel I'm gonna go do that now And then when she returned to the front of the chapel, she had those same really scary feelings and she just couldn't do it. And she's like, no, I can't. Like, for whatever reason, her body and her mind were like, don't, like, you cannot go in there. Do not go in there. So since there was nothing wrong with the rest of the museum, she's like, you know what? Like, the chapel can wait till morning. I'm not doing this, basically. Me. I would also probably not do it. I mean, I feel like in this situation or in these types of situations, listen to your gut. If it's telling you not to go, don't go. (sighs) If Weird things are happening. Leave. Move out of the house. Sorry, I'm just getting passionate about it. Another frightening incident happened one day when she was walking by the downstairs bathroom. She noticed that water was running in the women's washroom and she went in to turn it off because that's extremely wasteful. As soon as she walked in, the door swung shut behind her and slammed. And then she shut off the water and went to leave, only to find that the door wouldn't open and she was trapped in there. And she said that as she tried to, like, open the door, it felt as if someone was holding it shut from the other side. And she was, like, putting her weight against it and it just would not budge. Like, no, someone did not want her to get out of there. Finally, like, as she kept fighting, whatever was holding it let go and she kind of like burst out of the bathroom and when she got out into the hall she said the hallway was super cold and all the lights were flickering and she said that like when things get cold like that it's generally known to be related to the presence of a spirit or a ghost because the ghost needs the energy heat energy in the air around you to manifest whatever it's trying to do, either itself physically or um, if it's trying to move something or hold something, it needs energy to do that. So that's why when people say, oh, like I felt it got cold instantly and then something happened, it's because the common paranormal belief is that they took the energy and the heat from the air to do whatever they were going to do. And that's why you feel it. Same with flickering lights because they're having electrical interference because they're trying to come through and do something that's not on their plane so they need the energy from the electricity to do it. You'd think that this was enough really creepy stuff to happen that people would like quit. You're wrong. There's still more happening. So (laughs) another thing that happened um, happened to one of the museum guides that did tours. And they said that they volunteered there for years and years. She went to use the washroom in the basement and said that she started to wonder how many people had died in the building suddenly. And that's kind of a weird thing to just randomly be like, oh, I wonder how many people have died here. I mean, actually, that's not that weird. When I, when I was doing a London tour, well, it wasn't actually a tour. It was just walking around London with like London, England by the way, with my friend, and we walked by the Tower of London, I was like, oh my god, so many people have died here. And my friend was like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, it's it's a morbid thing. But it's, it's history, man. Anyway, so she started to wonder how many people had died there. Um, but there was, there was no way to really know how many people died because they don't have any hard records because between it being a hospital and a senior's home and like the nuns living there and children going to school there, there were so many people in and out of it that it didn't have really good records about how many people had died there. But it was fair enough to assume that a lot of people had over like the nearly 100, I guess it was over 100 years that they were in that location. So the the volunteer wondered if it would have been like as many as like two or three deaths a year or like up to 10 deaths a year or more and apparently she started doing all this mental math thinking about how many years the building was open as like a hospital and as a senior's home and trying to do the math of okay if it had been three deaths a year for this many years if it had been 10 deaths a year for this many years like this is how many people would have died and realized like either way like that's a lot of deaths to happen. And so she was thinking about this when she left the washroom and that's when she realized that the temperature had dropped again and it had gotten really cold. And she said that it felt like she was in a really crowded room as if 30 people were all standing tightly around her and she couldn't move. And she said she couldn't see anyone. There was no apparitions or anything. She just had this feeling like she was being enclosed by all of these people. Like she was at a concert and in a mosh pit just couldn't move. And as she tried to make her way to the stairs leaving the basement, she felt as if people were pushing and shoving her towards the stairs, and when she got to the stairs, felt like they were shoving her right up the stairs. And when she finally came out of the basement, another employee saw her and she said she looked really pale and was like, like, oh, you look like you've seen a ghost. And she said, I think I just did. So obviously a lot of the employees there have had like really weird experiences and it's it's a common ongoing thing. It seems to be mostly on the first, and first floor and the basement, but on the second floor of the museum uh, is a multi-purpose room that they use for putting on events or doing presentations and things like that. Uh, one year they were offering a program just based around tea which what that sounds weird but I mean I'd probably go to that I like I love me some tea come on so in the room they had a bunch of like tables set up with teacups and saucers nicely laid out and weird things kept happening like during their program that they have like cupboards would suddenly fly open and teacups would fall out and when summer students arrived in the morning and went to the room they found that chairs had been scattered everywhere and that the teacups were turned upside down even though they had set everything up properly the day before so they would like set it up as if they're gonna have a tea party and put everything out like nicely with the teacups up and they would come in the next morning and the chairs were everywhere and the teacups had been flipped upside down So it seems like the teacup thing being turned over could have been explained as something that the nuns used to do when they were there. An employee had been telling a nun about the weird happenings, and the nun said that when they set the table, they always used to set the table with the teacups turned upside down. Weird. Weird i mean i can't uh, i mean i guess that kind of makes sense though like not that it's like a ghost nut necessarily but i mean like setting the table with the teacup upside down it just helps keep it clean especially if you're leaving it overnight i mean i'm not saying that that was the case i'm just saying that like it makes sense to me to set your table that way if you're gonna leave it overnight but anyway who am i to argue with these summer students they knew what they were doing So, yeah, so when they talked to a current nun about it, she had said, okay, well, that's interesting because that's how the nuns used to set the table uh, with the tea because that's how we were taught to to do that. So that was interesting. However, they thought, well, like, why is the spirit of a nun angry with a tea program? Like, because obviously they're interfering with it so they're like what like is there what do they not want us to do this like is there something like bad that happened tea related like why is she if this is like a ghost of a nun why is she messing with her tea party basically oh don't mess with the tea party so i guess the answer they thought was with the staff offering the program because the summer students that were delivering the program would talk about tea and food and how this connected with the Grey Nuns there. And as part of their presentation, they mentioned the first four nuns that came to St. Boniface. And when they uh, made reference to Sister Lagrave, who was the nun who broke her foot on the journey there, if you recall back to the beginning of the story, uh, on their freaking long-ass journey, <laughs> she was the one that broke her foot. Uh, So when they talked about her, they said she was known for her ample size and no-nonsense attitude, and they referred to her as a Le Grasse Méchant, which is translated as a fat (laughs) meanie." Sorry, that's not nice, but like, ha, that'll piss you off, I mean. (laughs) So they think that, like, doing this in the presentation is that her ghost took offense to them calling her this. That she was offended that they called her the fat meanie and that she was pissed that they were setting the table wrong so she came in and screwed up their chairs and then fixed all the te- the teacups because she was like how dare you how dare you do this wrong and how dare you call me a fat meanie <laughs> another um older employee who'd been there for a long time suggested that maybe to get her to stop messing with this and to actually like get it to stop and make amends with her, that they should apologize to the spirit and stop calling her that name. So they followed the advice, and once they stopped with the name-calling, they had no more unexplained problems with their tea party program. Yeah. See, it's all about respect. Respect the spirits. Don't fuck with them, and don't be mean to them. Or else they're going to mess with you. Apparently, they've had a number of weird smells in the building. Also, at the bottom and the top of the staircase, they can smell uh, fire or burnt wood. Staff think that could explain as because the building did have a fire like a really long time ago, which if anyone's from Winnipeg knows that makes sense because the St. Boniface Chapel which or Cathedral, sorry, which is literally right next to it, just like a lot over where Louis Riel is buried, fun fact. I think we talked about that in an earlier episode, but that place has been burnt down twice, so it only makes sense that this place would have had a fire as well. Uh, one of the fires, they said, this the nuns were frying donuts when the oil caught fire, and the fire left burn marks on the wooden beams that you can still see today. But they say what makes the smell so odd is that the staff have noticed the burnt smell is in that part of the building where the fire... No, Uh, I'm confused. Okay, what makes it weird is that the smell is never detected in that part of the building where the fire was. So you can, they know there was a fire with the grease fire in that area of the building and you can see the burn marks still there but you don't ever actually smell this fire smell when you're in that area of the building it's always in a completely different area and that's what makes it strange they're they're like we're not smelling like residual burnt wood from the wood because it's not here it's somewhere else uh, they've also smelled uh, roses in the chapel and a lot of people saying when they're setting up for events in the chapel, they feel someone tap them on the shoulders or grab at their clothes, but every time they turn around to see who's there, the chapel's completely empty except for them. Um, First Nations visitors to the museum have often had strong reactions to the spirits that are present there a number of those guests have remarked as soon as they enter the building they can feel the spirits and both adults and children on tours who have walked freely through the museum they'll come to a certain area or a room and they'll say like i'm not going in there or i can't go in there because there's too strong of a presence in there staff often hear the sounds of children playing as well and whenever they go to see where the sound is coming from they can never find the source and if they enter a room that they think it's coming from the sound will then move to another room and so on and then they're basically chasing the sound around. They said that they can still chase it from room to room to room and they can never find the source. There was a ghost investigation group that went in there and they connected these sounds to the spirit of a young boy that they made contact with and they said the boy kept trying to communicate with them even after they told him that they had to leave. After the group left for the night, a museum employee who had been there trying to set the alarm so she could go home said that she took her numerous tries before the alarm would actually set, like it kept having electrical interference and it, she'd put the code in and press enter and it would never connect and so she had to do it over and over and over again before it finally worked. It seemed like... After everything that they had told her and everything they had experienced, she related it to, it seemed like the boy didn't want to stop playing and he didn't want her, he knew she was trying to go home and he didn't want her to leave because the others had already left. Holy crap! So that's a lot of different things that have happened in the Musée de Saint-Boniface. And yeah, that's a lot. So... It's still there, and it's still operating as a museum. You can go in and see it. They have this old, really, yeah, like, fancy-looking building from the front, and that's, I think, the main entrance to the museum. But they also have um, a house attached to the back on the side as well. And I remember when I was at school, we went there for, I think it was... I think it was a field trip for our religion class but it might have been like a field trip specific to one of the groups I was involved in but I I couldn't tell you but either way we went there and you walk in and it is very much a strange feeling because you're sitting around looking at all these old fashioned chairs and chaises and things like that and it It's almost like it's stuck in time. And not in like the nineteen fifties when it closed, it's more to its original state that it's stuck in time. And I definitely have had this feeling when you're there. And I, I get this feeling a lot in like old older buildings. Um and I can't quite explain what it feels like. It's not exactly an uneasy feeling. It's just more of, like, a what's, I I don't even know how to explain it. Just a historical feeling. Like, you walk in and you're just like, whoa, shit has happened here. And I just find that really cool. It's, like, one of my favorite Things I just, yeah. This is why I love, like, museums and, like, historical sites and stuff like that, because I just really love that feeling and being somewhere and knowing, like, how cool is it that someone literally operated in this room, like, a 100 years ago, or at this rate, way more than that, like, 150 years ago. It's more than 150 years now, even. It's crazy. But... Yeah, it's just, it's a really, uh... I just think it's a really neat, interesting feeling. Sometimes it can make me uneasy, but for the most part, I just find it really, like, fascinating, more than anything. This is one of those places. I've never actually been through the museum itself, which is interesting and a little strange, to be honest with you, because it's (laughs) literally in the city. It's one of the oldest building. It is, sorry, the oldest building in the city. And it's across the street from St. Boniface Hospital, which I've been to a lot. And I took French in school from, was in French immersion kindergarten. And then I took French in school from like one to 12. So you'd think there would have been some kind of field trip there in, in that regard. But alas, I have not. And for whatever reason, I went to just like the house part in the back for some kind of trip, but never the actual museum. So that would be fun to go and see if I could sense anything while I was there, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, I have not been there. So yeah, that is the many haunted stories of our local haunt, Le Musée de Saint Boniface. And if anyone has been there and had their own creepy experiences please don't be shy in letting us know you can let us know on twitter facebook or through our email uh, all of which can be found on our website but yeah so that's that as far as news goes last time we talked key was getting ready to take her driving test and hey she passed so she can drive now which is cool and a huge relief on me (laughs) because I don't have to chauffeur her around so much anymore. It was Canadian Thanksgiving this weekend, which was pretty good. We had a huge family dinner with like our huge extended family on the Saturday, and then I made dinner for my mom and my sister and my godfather on Sunday, and then yesterday I went to my dad's, and we had dinner there, so lots of food. Definitely feeling it today. Not gonna lie to you, but was it worth it? Probably. Also, totally figured out what I'm gonna be for Halloween, and I'm really excited about it. I am being Merida from Brave. So got the wig, or well, should have the wig soon. It's on the way. Ordered a dress. Gonna cut it up, sew it up. Comic Con, here I come. Brave is not my favorite movie, to be honest with you. I felt kind of like disappointed at the end of it but I do really love Merida as like a character on her own I loved her I just didn't love the whole story of the movie but it's fine anyway I'm excited to finally do that and hopefully we will have key back for our next story for you guys and it won't be a local one and we're gonna be releasing a show on Halloween so I'm gonna try and find something extra creepy for that one you guys because I mean come on it's Halloween only my favorite day of the year and for those who are Celtic and know it as Samhain it is Celtic New Year so that's pretty awesome too So I hope you guys enjoyed that story. If you want to send us any story recommendations or any creepy stories of your own related to what we've talked about or not, you can hit us up on Twitter at Podcast. You can find us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash girlsghostghouls. Instagram at instagram.com slash girlsghostghouls. Our email is girls, ghosts, and ghouls.com. And our website, which has all of this on it is www.girlsghostsandghouls.com. So make sure that you send us those stories because honestly, that is really awesome when we get to read those. And yeah, and we'll probably... Well, not probably, we definitely will give you a shout out if we pick your story to tell or your recommendation when we are doing a show. So thanks for listening and I will talk to you guys soon. Bye.